The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Stress and trauma leave a strong imprint on the body as well as the mind. The result can be overwhelm, burnout, or mental and physical illness. Many forms of therapy are, quote, top-down, aimed at using cognition or the mind to increase resilience in the mind and body. Today, we're going to talk about a different type of model, one that is, quote, bottom-up, using the body to heal and reach the mind. I'm joined by Dr. Lindy Grabby. Dr. Grabby is board-certified family nurse practitioner and psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Her clinical expertise is in primary care and mental health care for homeless or incarcerated women and youth, providing dialectical behavior therapy skills, training, and community resilience model training in group settings. Her interests include the neurobiology of trauma and resilience, social justice, and social determinants of mental health. Dr. Grabby is a healthcare provider with Community Advanced Practice Nurses, a small nonprofit organization that operates a network of clinics in Atlanta homeless shelters for women, children, and youth. Dr. Grabby's research has been with women and youth at risk for mental illness, homelessness, and substance abuse. Her current research includes measuring the impact of community resiliency model training on well-being and the emotional state of women in substance abuse treatment, as well as on well-being, resiliency, burnout, and effects of secondary traumatic stress in clinical pharmacists, nurses, first responders, medical and nursing staff, and nursing students. Dr. Grabby, welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited to talk about the resiliency model that you use. And I wanna start by having you explain this bottom-up approach, because it's so different from the types of resilience and burnout approaches that you know are typically used. Can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. So most of the type of psychotherapy that we have in the community is cognitive behavior therapy. And um, what we're looking at right now is a really radically different. It's sort of the opposite. In fact, it's it's about listening to our bodies. And um, this all evolved uh, from a model called uh, somatic experiencing. And there's some interesting history here because uh, there were some international disasters and healthcare providers and others, including therapists, went to help in these situations. China earthquake, Haiti earthquake, tsunami, those sorts of situations. Well, they could not do a, an eight-session cognitive behavior therapy um, plan there were also some therapists who went, who were trained in something called somatic experiencing, uh, which is Peter Levine's model. And that is a, definitely a bottom-up model. Instead of uh, dealing with cognition, emotions, it's more focused on sensations in the body. So in fact, where this um, model was used, it was really only the self-regulation piece that could be taught in maybe a single uh, interview with a survivor of a traumatic experience. 
And then down the road, some research around it showed that in those populations, there were sharply reduced uh, incidences of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So uh, some of those practitioners of somatic experiencing uh, who came back to the United States realized that they had something quite useful which was just simply those self-regulation techniques that they were able to teach in disaster situations. So what they did was they tried teaching just those techniques to uh, people who had experienced chronic cumulative trauma, some marginalized groups in Southern California. And this is not therapy. This is, uh, was people learning self-care techniques basically, that are quick, quick to learn, actually. So uh, the research in California showed improvements in mental health. So it started uh, that way, and uh, I learned about it about uh, five years ago. I was trained in what has developed into a psychotherapy model called the trauma resiliency model, but I am much more interested in the self-care component, which is all about emotion regulation, and that's called the community resiliency model. So I've been uh, working in this area for about four years, and the reason I came across this model was because I, as an FNP with homeless populations, I realized their biggest issue was mental health, and they were not getting mental health care. <laughs> and so I wanted to see what else was out there, and I actually learned several models, and this one is the most exciting one. And the fact is we can all benefit from learning these simple simple techniques, and it can be taught very quickly. Wow, that is you know, so much great information. Let me kind of touch on a few of the things that you mentioned. You mentioned that when people would go to help victims of these disasters, that these eight-week cognitive programs weren't working in that setting. Is that because of the duration, like an eight-week program when a group has gone through a disaster is lengthy, or is it because of other reasons? Right. It, it doesn't have to be eight weeks. It could just be eight sessions, but it's okay. CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, is manualized, so, and it deals with um, uh, distorted thinking, um, you know, self-talk, which is negative. All of this is very, very important and useful. But in, under those disaster situations, it wasn't practical, I guess. Um, yeah. So there was just this other uh, uh, model that kind of emerged spontaneously, I would say. And they realized they had something valuable because people did well with it. And Really, what we do in CRIM is we help people tap into resources from within that can help them feel better. And that means that even if they've lost their home, their family members, they still have that capacity for emotional balance. And that's what it's all about. And that gives them hope. And the self-regulation that comes about because you said people have to listen to their body. So instead of focusing on that negative self-talk, the thoughts and ideas that pop into our heads really subconsciously um, as well as consciously, this is focused on sensing physical sensations within the body. 
and working on self-regulation through the body. Exactly. And you, we would call it a sensory awareness model or somatic awareness. You can call it sensory mindfulness. And mindfulness is shown to be very, very helpful in helping people develop um, a greater focus, ability to concentrate and learn. And it works wonderfully, mindfulness. But this is a little uh, of a, it's the most pure form of mindfulness, in my opinion, just because it is focused on sensations in the body. And the three basic skills that we teach people are called tracking, resourcing, and grounding. So tracking is that awareness of both internal and external sensations. So it, you know, we have, through our five senses, what we call extraception. It's um, we take in messages from the environment, but we also have internal sensations, and those keep us uh, alive. They get us to sleep, and so it, we respond to signals from within the body if we hurt you know, we tend to that. If we need to use the bathroom or go sleep or eat, we attend to that. So it's part of our homeostasis. But we also have signals in the body which are related to well-being. So CRIM is all about paying attention to those sensations of resilience or even neutral sensations, either pleasant or neutral sensations, and trying to shift away from unpleasant sensations that are related to anxiety and depression and uh, the many other messages we get. So we actually have receptors in our, uh, throughout our body, in our um, organs, in our joints, in our muscles. And so uh, this is really uh, cutting edge, I think, uh, and helps people to learn self-regulation. Now, we've been teaching it to a number of different populations. My goal is was and still is to work with um, uh, drug-addicted women who are impoverished because they need whatever they can get to get into recovery, stay in recovery, uh, and uh, also with homeless youth. Uh, and I've been working with that population for almost 20 years now. And they're highly interested in this, actually. Uh, gives them a sense of control of their emotions. These are kids who probably were told they had anger management problems through their entire lives. And, uh, but here is something you can do immediately to get back into control. But we also teach police officers, firefighters. Uh, everybody's um, going to benefit potentially from this. And, Many people already use these skills, but they don't have a name on it. And we're asking that you just pay more attention to those, to registering internal sensations and maybe put a name on it. So for example, if I'm feeling anxious, I can be aware this is disagreeable, but where do I feel it in my body? And I localize it and then I try to name it. And if you name it, you may be able to tame it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so um, that's, that's called tracking, being aware of internal sensations. And then um, if, 
if you're aware that your tension is through your shoulders, across your abdomen, for example, you can shift to somewhere else in your body that feels okay or better. And um, it's kind of remarkable. So walking through the process of self-regulation through the body sensations, you you mentioned even in these natural disasters in moments of the most severe trauma that people go through, even in one session people can benefit and certainly in your practice when you're seeing patients who are victims of trauma or abuse, that's something that even within an office visit you can meaningfully teach someone a skill, which is fascinating because knowing how quickly these visits can go by and how little time there is to really um, meet everyone's needs during an office visit, that's fascinating. I want to kind of walk through, for example, like just any typical example. For example, (laughs) if someone comes in whether it's uh, some form of trauma, the steps or how you guide them through the process. Can you think of an example that you could share and guide us through the step-by-step of it? Yes, and I also want to talk about nurses because we did some research with nurses. But, um, okay, so this is um, a patient who has a psychiatric uh, history, and she was telling me, we were just there one-on-one. She was telling me how she had used these skills. So she said, I had a migraine. It was so bad. She, and I said, but I used Krim. And I said, well, how? She said, well, I focused on my feet. So I said, so your feet didn't hurt. She said, no, they hurt too, but they didn't hurt as bad. And somehow or other, it reduced her, um, her headache. Uh, so she, you know, she was paying attention to her feet, and because they were less painful than her headache, somehow it was it, there was a shift. And what we're looking for is to shift back into a resilient place. And we use the term resilient zone to kind of talk around. So we say that everybody has an internal state of well-being and balance, and that's when everything's on board working together. So when we get dysregulated, uh, we have to find ways to feel better. Well, a lot of people may use behaviors that are not so healthy to try to feel better. Uh, If you're in your resilient zone, you're your best self and you feel well, you can work with people successfully, study, learn, so on. But um, this is autonomic regulation. That's the automatic part of the ner- of the nervous system, and we can't make that do anything. But we can work with it. So we have two parts, and they're sympathetic and parasympathetic, or we can say the accelerator and the brakes. So we have this sort of flow doing throughout the day of sort of bursts of energy when we need them and then rest and recovery and restoration of well of of energy really so uh, but the fact is that given certain stresses or even traumas the brakes can get stuck or the accelerator can get struck stuck and we can get thrust outside of our 
bandwidth of resilience, which is our resistance to stress. As long as we're in there, we can go through things that are difficult, but we're resilient. We bounce back, uh, we cope. Doesn't mean that you're, you can't be a little sad or a little irritated, but you're still functioning okay. But then what happens is people get stuck outside the resilience zone on high, which is uh, too much of the accelerated, the sympathetic nervous system. So that is accompanied by certain symptoms. So a, rapid or a faster heart rate, breathing, muscle tension, could be some irritability, anxiety type of symptoms. So this is sort of cross-cultural. Uh, it's symptom-based. It's not... There's no labels to this. It's sort of depathologized. Now, alternatively, if the brakes get stuck and you're thrust outside of your zone of resilience, uh, on low, there's that sort of a hypoaroused state. So that's too much of the parasympathetic or the brakes. So that's where you have the lethargy, the wanting to be isolated from other people, depression, sadness, even sort of being cut off from reality. Uh, and um, People can be stuck outside their zone, and healthcare providers, for example, or uh, police or uh, paramedics, can uh, experience enough trauma cumulatively that at some point they may end up outside their zone and get stuck. And they feel like they're going crazy because they're having all these symptoms. So, this um, view of mental health, really, it sort of destigmatizes uh, mental health problems. So people can look at this. We have a little drawing that illustrates it, and you can take a look at that on the app, which is free, called iChill, and the resiliency images are there. And that's something very useful to teach to patients, for example. And you can just show them. And I've had people say, yes, I'm up here where I'm down here, or I go back and forth. I don't think I'm very much in the center. And of course, we all have narrower resiliency zone if we're tired or hungry or in pain. So in other words, our bandwidth for tolerating stress is narrowed. So sure. understanding that, I think, gives, gives people a handle on their own behaviors and how they feel. It puts it, in, it frames it in a way that anybody can understand it. You don't have to even be able to read to, to understand that. Right, which, you know, is very visual, and it certainly creates, you know, a framework for people to recognize where they are. Yeah. If a person, for example, is stuck in sympathetic nervous system, high anxiety state overwhelm, and the somatic or the body sensation they feel in that setting, let's, for example, say it's rapid heart beating or palpitations, for their anxiety level to come down to get unstuck from that sympathetic nervous system and back in the resilience zone, would that person focus on a different part of the body that feels better? Is well, that how it works? Okay, there's a few things you can do. So there are six community resiliency model skills, and the basic ones I mentioned were tracking, uh, resourcing, and grounding. So tracking... Uh, would be becoming aware of internal sensations. So if, if they recognize they're outside their zone, that's already something. That means they've, they've got that um, cortex, the thinking brain on board, because they're, they're taking that in. But then they may use a skill like tracking internal sensations 
uh, to self-regulate. Uh, alternatively, um, uh, the grounding involves contact with a uh, surface. So it could be the surface of the tabletop or of the glass in your hand or the clothing that you're wearing or even your skin if your hands are um, together. So you can sort of say to yourself uh, what you notice. So your skin could be rough or soft or sticky or moist. So I'm talking to my brain, basically. So I'm talking to the limbic system, the emotional brain, and the brain stem, the survival brain. And I'm saying, it's okay. <laughs> I can get, I can handle this. So uh, there is also one other skill which we call help now, which is sort of like doing emotional CPR either on yourself or with somebody else that you can see is obviously dysregulated or outside their zone. So. Um, it's everything from taking a look around the room and notice naming objects, for example, naming colors, perhaps taking some steps and counting steps, counting back from 10. Uh, the most effective one is pushing up against the wall, which you can do with two hands and just push um, almost like a plank up against the wall while you're engaging your upper and lower extremities, large muscle groups in that. And it seems quite remarkable if you push, 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 you can actually almost feel yourself coming back into a more regulated state. Um, now, we're, uh, CRIM is extremely trauma sensitive. So when I teach children, uh, teens who are in the juvenile justice system, they may not like one bit pushing up against a wall with two, two hands. Do you see what I'm saying? Because yes. it's such a vulnerable position. But then alternatively, you can just invite somebody, it's always invitational, to push with one hand or even with their back. And in our nurse study, the, the nurses were actually using uh, some of those particular skills to re-regulate themselves after difficult clinical situations. Yeah, and you've worked with a few different patient populations. As you mentioned, you worked with you know underserved populations, women who've gone through trauma. You also work with nurses and people in the clinical space because burnout is an emerging issue um, in you know, our field, just as every other field. Um, and these techniques can also be used for uh, people who are going through work-related stress, mm -hmm. and certainly firefighters, et cetera, as you mentioned. So in a model where you're working through with nurses or uh, first responders, be it firemen or policemen, and let's take the scenario that they are called to action, whether it's a nurse going to a code of a patient's heart stopping or a policeman uh, being called for a gunshot, uh, you know, to go to the scene and investigate where, you know, these are high stress situations. People are going to be out of their zone in those situations. Are there skills that they use during that episode or is it afterwards to bring them back down or how does it work in those settings so um if i were going up to a door and i didn't know what was on the other side i would probably be if i was using crim i would just notice the sensation of my feet on the ground okay and maybe the 
flagstone is different from the doormat. So noticing the difference in sensation under my feet. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm in an encounter, which is difficult, I can ground myself without the person even knowing it on my scrubs or on my uniform. Um, yeah, so, so again, we're tracking sensations, but it's not, it doesn't really take any time. I mean, you're still doing your job, but, so, but it actually, um, the firefighters were very drawn to this. Uh, I think it, the view of mental health is so, um, I don't know, it accepts these responses to trauma or stress as normal human reactions that are biological. And then in CRIM, we have biologic tools that we can give people to deal with these. So it's a real eye-opener for, for almost everybody. No, it really is because I think everybody can relate to the fight or flight response being activated. We all have our, you know, fire to stamp out, if you will. And this is a practical skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, fight or flight is extreme, of course. But you know, when you're threatened by somebody, uh, even at a work situation, you're gonna have an increase in your heart rate and your blood pressure and your, uh, uh, muscles will get more tense, but if you ground yourself or track sensations, even momentarily, it's just sensory mindfulness is all it is, you're going to put yourself into that parasympathetic mode, which is the restorative, even, albeit quickly, but you're going to drop your heart rate and your blood pressure on the spot. That's fascinating. And what is the science behind how mm. grounding or tracking activates the parasympathetic nervous system in that moment where the sympathetic nervous system is in its highly activated state? Um, we're working on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there is a huge body of research to support mindfulness, for example. And this is a kind of mindfulness, so it's really the same. Um, it's fascinating because interoception or this awareness of internal sensation uh, occurs in the tracts with of the brain, uh, with the hub being the cortical insula, and it's been called the fifth lobe. So that's a small lobe that's located in the groove, deep, deep groove between the two hemispheres of the brain and at the top of the survival brain, the brain stem, and surrounded by the limbic system. So it's right there in the middle of things. It's, uh, so this is a huge piece of research right now, interoception and mental health. So in this locus, and with again, with tracks up to the prefrontal cortex and I guess the anterior cingulate gyrus, I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, that is where we have this, the capacities for self-regulation, awareness of sensations, uh, empathy, social interaction. So, and the other animals that have these special neurons called von Kahnemann neurons are whales and uh, <laughs> great apes and, um, let's see, whales, I said, elephants, right? Yeah. So we have the same, so we're, we ha that's where our capacity for empathy is. And oh. I guess people who have personality disorders, there's something undeveloped there. 
Um, but the fact is, and what's really exciting, is that we can develop, because of neuroplasticity, by practicing mindfulness or meditation or yoga, or any of these things are really good for that particular part of the brain, and it's like doing mental push-ups. So we have, um, we're, we're building our resilience, but we're actually building synapses, and um, you know, it's about neurogenesis and, and connections. And uh, if you practice this sort of sensory mindfulness, um, it changes the brain. It's like certain things like gratitude journals, positive psychology. Um, these can be game changer, really, for people. So there's uh, a lot of attention right now to adverse childhood events. So that's about toxic stress in childhood, or ACEs, adverse childhood events. Um, and there are about one in six people have uh, four adversities or more across the country. This just came That's out staggering. a couple of yeah. days ago. And But the fact is, obviously, prevention is where you want to be. And there's a lot happening in Georgia right now. I'm so excited about it. Uh, prevention is best, but in, to identify children who have had exposure to toxic stress and teach them things like this. This is just one thing. There are lots of other good things that are going on, which is going to be reparative. They do not have to have the chronic diseases that are showing up in people with high ACE scores uh, decades later. And we have very solid yeah. research from CDC about the connection between adversity and then disease, not just mental health. We're talking about chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, cancer. Right, and, and this is what we see. You know, I see adults and um, people who have had adverse events in childhood. It does manifest, as you mentioned, increased risk of heart disease, conditions that you wouldn't necessarily connect the exactly. dots. Exactly. Which is, you know, again, so fascinating of the power of tuning into our body sensations, the somatic approach, it's so powerful based on how we're wired. You know, we have so many more nerves going from our body parts to our brain, you know, our afferent, than coming from the brain to our body parts when you look at the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's fascinating. You know, we're going to have to have you come back because there's so much more to talk about. But in the time that we have left. I know you've done so much research on this with nurses, and there's so much more that you're doing here in Georgia. But is there anything else you'd like to share in the time that we have left? Sure. Um, I do want to mention that we did the first randomized control trial of the community resiliency model. Nurses have high rates of depression and PTSD, and uh, physicians do too. And Although we've taught this model to some of the physicians at Emory and around Atlanta, um, we decided to do some research with the nurses. I mean, it's all about burnout, compassion fatigue, even suicidality, which is an issue in medicine too. So we gave them a five-hour CRIM class, and then we had a control group that they were randomly put into. So we have pretests on about 196 people, and we did find that the nurses had high rates of uh, um, secondary traumatic stress, which is very similar to PTSD, and um, poor mental well-being. 
So they came into a class not knowing what it was going to be. Um, but the ones that got the CRIM class, uh, we followed them uh, with the same survey uh, one week later, three months later, and one year later. So we all together, we had 77 participants. And we had a very large effect size for well-being. So And the use of the skills was pretty remarkable. They said that they were using... Uh, tracking sensation, using resourcing, which we didn't even get into, um, being still noticing sensations, and um, in what situations during codes, dealing with dying patients, during scary clinical situations, uh, difficult shift after a distressing experience. So um, they actually were using these simple skills, and we only did three hours. I don't know what the exact dose that we would need, but uh, three hours seemed to help these nurses quite a lot. And the nutrition control group, they also did well. Interesting thing was we did mindful eating in both classes uh, because it fit, and um, that was very powerful for um, a lot of people, too. Very simple. Yeah, amazing that one session can have effects even a year down the road. Yeah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what this would show. I was yeah. very, I, th I thought I was onto something. So right now we have uh, about 30 plus trainers, teachers in the Atlanta area, but they're at CHOA, they're at Emory Healthcare, they're in the Department of Juvenile Justice, they're down at Grady. So this has all happened very organically just in the last uh, few years. And very often, people who get a class, they get super interested and they want to become a teacher. And those, they make wonderful teachers. So we just taught uh, six clinicians uh, down on the uh, Grady 13th floor, which is the mental health wards yesterday. Uh, we'll be teaching a police department with 75 officers soon. And, you know, they may just run with it. It's a very exciting. That is really exciting. And for people who may be interested in going through one of these trainings, is this available to the community? Um, we can set it up. Okay. Um, I don't have anything open right now. We have a teacher training coming up March 9th through 13th. Yeah. Because we did the first randomized control trial, the people who um, developed the model are who are out in California at the Trauma Resource Institute. They love us. So um, they've been here twice to do teacher training. It takes five days all day long. It's an excellent training. And this is so much fun to teach, I have to say. Um, this is just a delight to teach. I can hear how much you enjoyed and, and how much of a difference that you can make using this therapy. It's, it's actually amazing that in such a short amount of time you can have such an impact on people. So I can understand why you enjoy doing it. Right. And yeah. we need to reach high-risk kids, really. Yeah. Well, you know, I you know, want to thank you for the work that you're doing, for taking the time to talk about this, because I think we spend a lot of time looking at the approaches that are more cognitive, and I'm really excited to be sharing this approach as well. Um, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you, and I want to recommend the app iChill to everybody to take a look at. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, 
emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.